Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with all of you. All right. Wasn't that lovely this morning? Hey. Thank y'all. If you want the much better said cliff notes of this message, then Lisa just prayed them. <laughs> I'm, I, if, you had, if, if you didn't read my notes... Y'all will see what I mean if you're thinking about it. Um, when Claire and I were early married uh, in the 90s, uh, we were, I was in seminary and working as a youth pastor. And every now and then we would go to the symphony. And the Morton Meyerson was new then. You Dallas people know what I'm talking about. It was an amazing building, right? I just still just in awe of that place. And so we would go every now and then. And... Uh, the first few times we went, we would sit in the probably what was the very back. It's been quite a while since I've been, but there were really small seats, and my knees were like crammed into the seat in front of me, you know. Um, and for anyone to get out, I literally had to go like this for them to go. And uh, then I was buying tickets one time, and I think it was like before the internet, you know, if you can imagine that if you're young. Um, and I was looking at this map, and it said that you could get these tickets that were. Um, in the balcony, and right above the the stage. And so, if you know what I'm talking about, like, if this was the stage up here, there, there's the balconies wrap all the way around, and right up here is this, there's like two levels or three levels of balconies. And you could get the balcony right here for less than back there. I was like, what? And there was movable seats. <laughs> and it was just like Claire and I and some other couple there, and you could just look right over right down, and you could see the conductor's face, like the side of his face, or her face, and you could see all the musicians. It was like so much closer, and it was amazing. Um, and I love that. You remember Claire? Is Claire in here? She may be meeting with somebody right now. Um, <laughs> she'll be able to corroborate in the second service. I'm not making this up. And uh, so that was, we just went there every time we would sit there uh, and the next times we would go. But when the conductor would bring up, you know, the baton, you could just feel it. You were just right in the presence of it, just right there. It was just so powerful. And today we're going to look at a prayer in John 17. And Catherine read us just the first five verses of that prayer, where it's as if Jesus has invited us and the disciples. They've just finished that last supper with him. This is like the culmination of that and it's as if he's invited us to this front row seat where you're going to see stuff you did not imagine was possible for you to see. You're going to be up close and personal in this interaction that God, ha- the Father, has with the Son and the Son with the Father. And some, it says, uh, John describes it like this, he says, Jesus looks up to heaven to speak to the Father. And it's like that's this invitation into this moment of this front row seat to see what he's going to say. And I'm going to have to admit to you, the more time I, actually, is immediately when I started studying this, I recognized I was way over my head. Um, we're going to talk about barely three verses, really. There's so much here. I, I very much encourage you to spend time in John 17, 1 and following. Just look at this prayer that Jesus prays about the glory of God. And that glory is his glory. It's the Father's glory. But it's this opening of the theological like universe there's so much depth and richness in it 
And here's the main thing that I want to say to you. The glory of God, as Jesus reveals it right here in this prayer, just in these verses even, these few verses, is the ultimate expression of truth, capital T, truth. The glory of God is the ultimate expression of truth. They're one and the same. They're like fabric together. They, they complement one another. Truth is his glory. His glory is truth. It's a fixed reality that's outside of human manipulation. It's eternal and it's rooted in the glory of God. That is truth. Okay? Truth is outside of our ability to change it. It's eternal. It's fixed. It's rooted in the glory of God. So we're really going to go deep here. So I'm going to encourage you to, or at least it's deep for me. Some of you, maybe not, but it's deep for me. Um, That kind of truth, the truth that I'm talking about, God's truth, the eternal truth, by modern Western post-Christian culture has been taken out to the back and given a beating. So we've gradually hauled off the concept, and I'm including us in it because we're all a part of the culture. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're not influenced or influencing within this culture. We have to be so careful to hold on to truth. Um, We have sort of excluded God. That's what our culture has done. Said there's no room for God. There's no room for Christianity. And we've bred truth with relativism and materialism. And the result is something that's really unrecognizable. But it has the vestige of truth within it, somehow, the vestige of good. Truth now gets established and held onto by the loudest voice. And we hear those voices and we wonder, am I making the right decision? Is everything I always believed right? Because we're a part of the culture. Um, I hate to use this example, but I I guess I'm going to because I've come back to it like three times. Uh, I, I do not like scary movies. I don't watch scary movies. I haven't watched them in a really long time. But... Well, the reason is because I can't forget the images. They just don't leave me. And so back in the 80s, there was a movie called The Thing. I'm not encouraging you to go look up anything about The Thing. <laughs> just, just only what I'm saying right here. Um, and I either saw a commercial for it or the trailer at some theater or something. And The Thing was a, an alien life form that would, was devouring humans and it would take on ast- or any animal or anything, it would take on aspects of that thing that it had destroyed. And so one of the images, this image that has never left my brain, unfortunately, is this, the pet dog of the scientists in the, you know, environment. And the pet dog's running around and it runs behind this desk or something. And, and then you see it like be like three animals at one time. And it's just horrifying. It just, I can't, I still remember that image in my head. I hate to bring it up to you, but... I hate to even think about it. But the reason that I do is that uh, truth had been hidden in the vestige of something real and replaced with untruth that was destructive. We hear people say we're fools for believing in Jesus. We're crazy to believe there's an eternally established truth tied to a creator God and his glory. We're out of touch. There's a new morality But let me say it again. The glory of God is the ultimate expression of truth. The glory of God is the ultimate expression of truth. All right, so I want to show you this in three places in these verses. 
um, and really just taking a top-level sample of this. Um, one is God's glory is shown and his truth is shown in an hour, a determined hour for his glory. Another is that it is shown in the sacrifice of Jesus. The glory of God, the truth, is shown and revealed in his sacrifice. And third, uh, the promise of God to a relationship, eternal relationship with him is his glory. All of these things are the truth. Our, his sacrifice, and his promise. So let's talk about his hour for just a minute. And this is like super deep theological stuff. A lot of you are way beyond me in this, but you could look into this uh, and dive deep. In 17.1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven, invites them to the, invites them to the front row, and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Something is about to happen. The doors are open. The line has, cro- has been crossed. The hour has come. So this hour was planned long ago. It was planned back when Adam and Eve made their decision to distrust the God of the universe. It's not a 60-minute hour. It's this pivotal moment. And Jesus mentions it at the beginning of his ministry, the very beginning. And I think almost all of our passages come out of John today. It's, it's really interesting how John dro- pulls these threads through all the way to the end and emphasizes certain things for us to hear. But in John 2, you'll remember this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus, was also, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, Mary said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I think this this must have been hilarious for John to write. Because you can absolutely experience, uh, I was about to say men, you can understand what I'm talking about. Maybe I can't do that these days. But, you know, it's like when Claire says, "Um, the grass needs to be mowed. She's not going to be mowing the grass. She's saying, you need to take care of this. His mother says, there's no wine. And then she says, do whatever he says. <laughs> She's anticipating something's going to happen. It's, I think it's funny. Um, and he says, he gives a kind of an odd answer. He says, my hour has not yet come. But there's an hour coming, a time in human terms, a moment in the physical world in which the God of the universe, through the Son, is going to bring glory to both of them. And that's what, I don't know if you heard Lisa praying that, but she spoke about that. God entering time through Jesus to meet us in the form of a human. And the disciples didn't understand. He used that term, this hour is coming. In other translations, we use the ESV, but in others it says, his time is coming. A A sequence of events that would catapult him, they thought, the disciples thought, into political leadership, that they would come along beside him in and rule, right? That's what they thought was going to happen, this new kind of power in a kingdom established over men. That's what they thought was going to happen. But Jesus rebuffs them. They weren't going to be his partners like that. They were going to see a different kind of glory. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So you have this hour approaching that Jesus is talking about. Do you remember when he gets tempted by Satan in the wilderness after 40 days? 
of, of fasting, and certainly he's very weak at that point. And Satan uses scripture to entice him and promises that if, if you leap off this, your angels will catch you because you'll be protected and you'll be glorified. Or if you worship me, you'll be glorified. I'll give you what you want. He was offering him a shortcut to the hour that was coming. And it was a temptation that he had to face. Jesus rebuffs him. He uses scripture with truth. He says, my hour is not come yet. There was this ceremonial moment that Jesus was preparing for, this hour, and we're looking at it here in John 17, 1. They've been invited to something very great, but they don't know what it is. It's like when Claire and I moved up to those great seats. We didn't know what was coming. It was so great. It was so beyond what we could have imagined. The glory of Jesus and the glory of the Father are going to be proclaimed together in this hour. So in the book of John, in the gospel of John, he starts off looking back with 2020 vision, right? He's looking back over past that hour when he writes us. He sees all of these things that happened. You know, the, the, ascent, the story of the church, the ascension, the, the resurrection, the crucifixion, the, the table, and all the way back. And he sets up the whole story in 114. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's powerful. That's what he's, Jesus is telling us in 17.1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, stepped into our time. John, looking back with 20, somewhat 2020 vision, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's glory is revealed in a specific ceremonial hour that the disciples get and we are now getting a look into. And I want to encourage you this week, when you get time alone with God, sit, imagine yourself just sitting right on the edge of the balcony, looking down when the baton goes up, just what it must have felt like to be in that place. That hour that Jesus came from, the conductor's hand is raised and God's glory is on display. It's about to be fully on display, the ultimate expression of truth. But it's an odd ultimate expression. It's an expression of truth and glory in sacrifice. So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, I'm going to read to you just the back part of verse 1 and verse 5. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There's a glory that Jesus experienced before the world existed. And as John mentions, in Hebrews mentions, he, he, it's by the word of Jesus that all of that we experience, all of the truth, the things that we touch, the reality that we experience, the spiritual realms, everything, are upheld simply by the word of truth of Jesus. But here we are. Let's have this glory come. Jesus says it's time. Well, uh, we need to talk about how we understand glory, just for a minute. 
uh, one way we understand glory as humans is we think of glory as like fame and celebrity. That's, that's the initial thought I have. When I think of glory or like, I think of famousness. I think of um, uh, uh, power or beauty or talent, uh, success or popularity or that kind of thing. And we lift those things up. We love that stuff. Um, I'll just give you a couple of examples. I, I actually did look to see who the, the biggest stars on Instagram were, um, just to see what people thought. Uh, Ronaldo, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, Beyonce, LeBron, Federer, and Djokovic, uh, Pagachar, Verstappen, Hamilton. I'm just, maybe you're connecting with some of these. I don't know. Um, we think of glory and fame as sort of a similar thing. But that's not how God sees glory. God sees glory in a different light. Uh, we see glory in terms of how we feel about something. Uh, Claire's not here, so I'll use another example of us. <laughs> um, we met on a, a float trip in, in, New, in, uh, in New Braunfels. Uh, and we were going to ride the inner tubes down the river, right? And we were both in college and... Um, so we were getting on the bus with friends, and I had not met her yet. And she and her buddy were in front of me and my buddy. And I will never forget this moment in 1985 on the bus. And I'm sitting there with my friend, and these two girls, uh, only one of which I knew, turn around to talk to us, and that was it for me. <laughs> Claire was right in front of me, and I was like, done. And I mean, it took six years to actually you know, get this settled. But um, I was very focused on her. All of these feelings around that, this, she could have just, she might as well have been glowing, right? We, we've all experienced those moments, and, and we, we long for those moments because we love the feeling of majesty, of greatness, of what we esteem, Right? We see glory here in our awe at creation. And I know that's probably why almost all of us are in the room. We love Crested Butte because we look out and we walk out and we feel the air and we say, this screams God to me. In awe, we experience glory. None of those things, whether it's feelings or power or talent or ability or beauty or awe at what has been done, none of those things are wrong. They're just, they're not even half of it. Because God's glory is a different kind of glory. It's a truth that, that, that is so much bigger than all of those things. God's glory is made real, and here's the really amazing and hard thing. God's glory is made real in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you think about it, that's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, we don't think of glory as suffering for ungrateful and rebellious people. That's not our definition of glory. It's not the choice of the celebrity. It's not where you have the best feelings. I promise the disciples did not have great feelings when that was happening. But Jesus says, this is the hour. The hour is about sacrifice. The glory of God is about to be expressed God for Christ, Christ for, for his Father, all of that together, the glory of God in the moment of sacrifice for humankind. 
just because I can't help it, from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed, and like sheep, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is grace. That is his glory. And that is truth. So Jesus was committed to God's glory, even though it cost him his life for ungrateful people. So here's another question for your devotional, for our time with him. Um, just to be practical for a moment, does, does your prayer life, do your daily decisions, does your dependence on his truth, does it ascribe glory to God? I mean, can you just look at your day, your plan for the day as you're praying through it and praying over it and ask yourself, is this like, like Jesus prayed? Let, let this bring glory to you, Father. It's possible that to bring glory to God, it's going to require sacrifice. Something different than uh, what's typically a part of a prayer. So, there's our, there's sacrifice, both of these points, the glory of God and his truth. And finally, uh, there's the glory of God that's revealed in the promise of a restored, eternal relationship. So, in verses 1 and 3. Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. This is eternal. This is what it's all about, relationship, restored relationship. So, just like Lisa prayed a moment ago, Jesus has stepped into time. He became 100% man, born as a, a baby in flesh, stepped into time to obediently follow the Father's desire. He gave up his glory to step into the, the uh, confinement of the flesh of man, to go directly to his hour, to not allow any detours to take him away, any promises to take him away from that an hour of utter sacrifice that would bring glory to God. And what it would result in, at the same time, is the possibility of restoration of relationship forever between man and God. Claire and I have a, a friend that lived with us years ago, and uh, he was one of my youth group kids, and I became, he became a believer through Young Life, and we, did, we spent hours together. He, and he has completely rejected his faith. He writes posts that are just vindictive and terrible, and I just we never read them because they're so hard, and it's so hard to think of all the hours and years of time that we spent together with my friend. Um, and I was reminded of the beauty of the glory and the tr eternal truth of God because in this... Uh, my friend has at one point come to Jesus and believed and had faith in Christ and experienced that just for some moment. And now, though he has rejected it, 
in his mind, he has said, that's not real. But I, w- I want to say to him, and, and hopefully someday I can, and maybe in heaven when it actually happens, hey man, you know, uh, whatever you say and whatever you do, you can't outdo the sacrifice of Jesus. You cannot do it. And you crossed that line of faith. You stepped into a perm. This is the beauty of the prayer. It's so, there's so much in here. The eternal glory of God wrapped in the eternal is, is clothed, is woven together with the eternal relationship of humans with him. That is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God. And like the prodigal's father, he will welcome back all of us who strayed after knowing, coming to know him. Because of this. Because of the hour of his glory, the sacrifice that revealed his glory, and the promise of eternal life and relationship with him. Let me ask the musicians to come up, and I'm going to just close with a thought. So the disciples knew that glory was coming, um, but they just thought it was going to be a glory they could understand. Everything was going to be perfect. Jesus was going to be ushered into political, military, religious power. Um, But when the hand of the conductor went up, it turned into something completely different. Jesus was going to be betrayed. Judas himself had been sent out already, and Jesus would suffer like a criminal. He would be lifted up by men, but lifted up on a cross. Not to be glorified, but to be humiliated. He was bringing the glory of God so that we could experience that, so that we could see it. The glory of God is the ultimate and timeless truth. It's outside of us. It's not about our feelings or wants or what we think is great or good. And that's why we can put our faith in the eternal God. I invite you to do that wherever you are. If you don't know Jesus, if you do, we've been invited to the front row. So it's, it's an exciting thing. It's deep truth. God's glory is truth.